When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Orange Brown Talk podcast. We are continuing uh, our Hey Mary Kay podcast this week. This is part two. Uh, if you missed part one, that went up on Monday afternoon, so go check that out on our podcast feed. Mary Kay, let's get right to it. Uh, this question is from Tom in Middlebury, Connecticut, and he's thinking about Deshaun Watson and turning things over to Deshaun. He says, Hey Mary Kay, what do you think of the following? Deshaun Watson can only be a top-tier quarterback if Stefanski can elevate to a top-tier play caller. Do you think this is kind of dependent on Kevin Stefanski making Deshaun Watson a top-tier quarterback? And there was another question, too, about Kevin. Is he good enough to elevate a player like Watson? Or have we just seen him elevate kind of mediocre and and bad quarterbacks in his time as a play caller. I hope that all makes sense. It does. I mean, we, we don't know yet. We don't know if he will be able to elevate Deshaun Watson, but we have evidence that Jacoby Brissett has played well under him and had one of his best seasons and that Baker Mayfield played really, really well under him as well and took the team to the playoffs. So there is evidence that uh, he does a really nice job with quarterbacks. And I know he's been educating himself, as we talked about on yesterday's pod. He's educated himself even more so on how to call plays for a dual threat quarterback like uh, Deshaun Watson, and he will continue to do that. So it's probably going to be a little bit of a work in progress. But I do think that uh, that those two guys are going to be tied very closely together and that their success will depend on them working really, really well together and communicating a lot and an understanding that it's going to be a little bit of a work in progress. What works in game one and two, uh, you know, you might have to build on that in game three and four. You might have to, you know, throw some things out the window in week five and pull some new things in. So, you know, it's not like it's going to be Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes working together in the first five games of the season. These guys have to learn each other. They have to figure each other out. And that's why off-season communication is going to be vital. How concerned were you from those last six games of the season? I, I mean, I guess how are we putting too much on rust and the 700 days off? Or is it is it really just as simple as like Deshaun had all that time off and Jacoby was the quarterback for 11 games and that's a tough transition? Is, is that a cop out or is that like a real thing? I think it's a real thing. I think uh, 700 days off and 11 game suspension, Jacoby Brissett, handling the offense for 11 games and getting his timing down and getting those, all of those guys acclimated to him and how the ball comes in and how, uh, uh, where the guy likes a ball placed on the fade route. You know, all of those nuances that go on between a quarterback and his pass catchers, they had all of that with, with Jacoby. So that's why in some cases, I think, uh, you know, you did see some of those dropped passes, right? He had three dropped passes in one football game alone. And, uh, you know, I think the, the feeling is the thinking is that some of those things will not be going on quite like that 
next season. They will have the whole off season to work together and then they will be together throughout all of training camp and, and throughout the season, they will be able to make those adjustments. You'll be able to see who has the hot hand with Deshaun Watson. Uh, so I think everything kind of got mixed into uh, his performance and all of those things will be a factor going forward. Okay, so I miscredited there on that question. That was from Robert in Ponte Vedra, Florida. And uh, my the way I put together my Google Doc threw me off. This is the question from Tom in Middlebury, Connecticut. Hey, Mary Kay, as the Browns turn to a Watson-focused offense, should we be worried that Nick Chubb will not get the opportunities he usually does? You know... I- I don't think so. I don't think that's really that much to worry about because even when you hear Deshaun Watson talk about the offense, he talks about Nick Chubb and how vital it is to have that running game and that option. And I think that you can see that Nick Chubb was starting to be more involved in the passing game late in the season. And he's going to have to be. He's going to have to be really good at that. Um, you know, that's that's going to be a vital part of the offense, him catching passes out of the backfield, uh, him blocking because you, you know, you don't want to have it be where, you know, when Nick's in the game, you know, that's good. You know, he would only be running the ball. And when you have a third down back in the game, he's going to be the one that catches the ball. You want to create a lot of ambiguity there and you want everybody to be able to do everything. So I think uh, that there will still be plenty of focus on the run and Nick doesn't get much more than an average of about 18 carries a game anyways. So I can still see, uh, something like that happening. And, and again, you know, the weather here is different than, than what he played in, in Houston. So, you know, you need to be running the ball at certain times here in the AFC North. So I think Nick will have plenty to do. So you read my mind with part of that answer, because I thought it was interesting in the last game of the season, Nick actually got uh, his most targets of the season in Pittsburgh and actually this tied for the second most targets in his career. Uh, six targets, he caught five for 45, including a touchdown. And I think moving forward, that's the area of Nick's game that needs to elevate is his ability in the passing game. Because obviously, look, you can have third down backs and you know whether that's Jerome Ford or, or somebody next year, it's fine if you have a third down back. But Nick is going to have to be able to be a factor in the passing game on first and second down too, uh, to, to really kind of maximize his effectiveness. Absolutely. I mean, when you're running RPOs and different things like that, and you've got a dual threat quarterback, you really have to create that confusion. You know, you've got to be, um, you know, when you're using, you know, pre-snap motion and all those kinds of things, you don't want people to be able to guess. You want them to wonder if Nick Chubb is possibly going to be uh, getting getting the ball out of the backfield on on second down or whatever the case may be. So I know Nick has worked really, really hard on his hands, and he's had times where, um, you know, even this season where he struggles to catch the ball. There are days where it seems like he just doesn't look it all the way in and he doesn't have that intense laser concentration. Uh, we saw that he missed, you know, two short passes in the Kansas City divisional round game that one year. And he was very mad at himself about that. And he's worked very hard on his hands. I think he's gotten a lot better. And as you mentioned, that Pittsburgh game uh, was a testament to that. For him to be able to catch five of six targets, that's pretty darn good for Nick Chubb. Uh, That's the kind of stuff you would expect from a Kareem Hunt. But Nick has to take on more of that role now. and, And I think he's up for it. And, and he doesn't have to be like Christian McCaffrey. 
Like that's fine. He, he, he can still, you know, we don't, the Browns don't need him to be Christian McCaffrey or even Kareem Hunt or one of these other dual threat, like big time dual threat guys. He can still be, you know, sort of a Derrick Henry type of player who's mostly just a runner, but that it still ha- that still has to be part of his game. Yes, it still has to be part of his game because of the nature of the offense and because of the quarterback and the things that you're trying to do. There are teams where he wouldn't have to, and in the past he hasn't had to be that necessarily here. Uh, but going forward, I think that that will have to be a part of his game. But you know, he's ready for it. You know, he's he's shown that he's up for it. He's willing to do it, and uh, you know, we know he's a selfless player and that he'll do whatever it takes to win. And, uh, you know, and this is just one more element for him to add to his game. Okay, let's get to uh, some more questions. This is another holdover from yesterday, some coaching questions uh, that came in. This comes from Abe in Huntington, West Virginia. Hey, Mary Kay, in an earlier report, rumors of additional coaching changes were still coming. What changes do you anticipate other than potentially losing Chad O'Shea, who I know you reported, um, I believe it was Monday, that he interviewed with the Ravens. Um, I'm losing track of what day is what right now Right now, here in the offseason, but he had his interview with the Ravens. Yes, he did. That was on Monday, and I did report that. I reported, I think it was on Saturday or Sunday, that he was going to be interviewing for that Ravens OC job, and then I reported super early Monday morning at like 5 o'clock, I posted the story, 5 a.m., saying that he was interviewing with the Ravens for their OC job on Monday. So he's one to kind of take a look at, but Chad O'Shea is going to have to decide, is that the right situation for him, right? I mean, he was a one-year offensive coordinator under Brian Flores in Miami in 2019, and he got let go after the season. You don't want to walk into another situation where you're not 100% certain if it's the right fit for you. So he's got to make sure that it is. I don't think the Jets job is necessarily one that you would want to take as your next OC job after getting let go like he did uh, by Brian Flores because they don't know who their quarterback is. The offensive line has a lot of issues there. And that whole situation is in a state of flux. Now, the Baltimore job would be a lot more intriguing, but if they're going to be playing this same style of offense that they have, and John Harbaugh says that they will maintain their identity that they have now, you know, Chad would have to ask himself if he feels super comfortable with that. Uh, the other part of that is, you know, Lamar Jackson is a little bit up in the air right now. Nobody really knows for sure exactly what's going on there. Now, John Harbaugh did say 200% chance he'll be back. Uh, so, you know, maybe you can hang your hat on that. But that situation seems to be in a little bit of a state of flux. So I don't know if Chad will leave or not. Uh, And then I also wrote that Drew Petzing, the quarterback's coach, depending on how all the head coaching jobs shake out, he could get some interest uh, if one of his, you know, longtime colleagues takes a head coaching job. So that's one to watch. And then um, Jeff Howard, the secondary coach, interviewed for the linebacker job with the Chargers. Don't know where that stands yet, um, but there's probably a pretty good chance that he'll be gone if he's out there interviewing. Um, and then I think there are a couple other defensive changes that will probably be made. You know that's going to happen. I mean, Jim Schwartz is going to come in. He's going to put his head together with Kevin Stefanski. They're going to look at the areas uh, that really, really need to improve. And I think they will add some coaches that they feel really good about. Uh, at those spots. So I think you'll see some changes on the defensive side of the ball. And then from a special team standpoint, I've written a couple times that uh, that Mike Prefer, you know, kind of has been told he's safe, but I've also been told 
this is not written in stone. Do not go like, you know, all the way with that because none of these decisions are written in stone at this point. I mean, they're just not. Um, you know, if, if something, there's a coaching carousel going on right now in the NFL. And if something shakes out, if there's a coach out there that you want to hire next week, I mean, that could change the picture. So I think that's why right now you're not hearing anything definitive about any of these coaches. There will be changes. Yeah. The other question um, that was asked in that same text was uh, about Mike Prefirst. You answered that one. Um, and you know, just to go back to the Lamar thing, as you're saying that, I think we've learned over the, the last couple of years in the NFL and look specifically with the Browns. It's easy to say that this guy's going to be the quarterback next year, but you know, and, and I do believe Lamar will probably end up staying in Baltimore, but until that name is on the dotted line until he's got that extension, I mean, even if they franchise him, he could say, that's great. Trade me. Um, but until that name is on the dotted line on that extension, you just, you just never know where things are going to go with the way that the direction this league has been going with player movement and even at the quarterback position. Yeah, and that's why I think it's a little tricky to, um, you know, to really take that job right now with with confidence and know that things are going to be exactly as you expect them to be. And as we talked about yesterday, um, Greg Roman floating around out there is is pretty intriguing as well. Now he's somebody that I'm pretty sure would, um, you know, would get a coordinator job. I mean, his next job. Maybe it's not even this year, though. I mean, he, he's a coordinator. So, um, you know, unless he takes that step back that we talked about yesterday, as some of them do, and uh, becomes sort of a senior offensive assistant for a year while he kind of figures out his next move, um, you know, he, he's a coordinator. So we'll have to see where he ends up. Yeah, it's, I mean, so much of that depends on the coaching carousel. And, you know, does a guy who wants to hire him land somewhere there there's so many things that um that still have to play out through all of this i mean most of these teams are just now getting into their second interviews with these head coaches so still a lot of time here to go even if some dominoes start to fall Uh, okay speaking of coaching carousel i knew this would come up eventually so let's just rip the band-aid off it's jim big dog in columbus ohio hey mary Kay. Did the Browns hire Jim Schwartz thinking he could be the next head coach if Kevin doesn't turn it around next year, or at least a dependable interim head coach? No, I don't think that was in the thinking process at all. I really don't. Uh, I think that Jim Schwartz got the job, uh, number one, uh, because he will be able to maximize the potential of Miles Garrett and get the most out of him. That's what you need from Miles. You need him to be the star that he is. You need him to be getting to the quarterback. Um, and just the whole defensive line. That's Jim Schwartz's area of expertise. And then he has so much experience. Uh, with Kevin Stefanski needing to put so much time into Deshaun Watson, this gives him the opportunity to turn that defense over to Jim Schwartz. He knows that, you know, if, if for some reason he couldn't walk into the defensive meeting room for three straight days in any given week, that it's going to be okay. They're going to have the right game plan. They're going to be ready to go. Any fires could be put out. Um, and then also on game day that he could make the necessary adjustments. And those were the problems uh, that they suffered in 2022, that they, in to a certain extent in 2021 at times, where in-game adjustments didn't always happen the way that they needed to happen. So I don't think that this is, hey, he can be a head coach. I think it's, 
hey, let him handle the defense and nobody has to worry about that side of the ball. Listen, I love a good head coach conspiracy theory. And, you know, you could build one in this situation with the way that he praised Andrew in in his press conference and said how much he loved working with him in Philly. But the reality is, if you're going to an interim coach next year, it doesn't matter who that guy is. You're you're in trouble. Um, some something has gone terribly wrong, and you are in trouble. And there are bigger issues than like, oh, Jim Schwartz is in the building; he can take over and handle this. Um, so, yeah. I, throughout this process, I saw people throw that out there about Brian Flores, Jim Schwartz, some of these who could take over as interims, and I just think that that can't be in your mind when you're making these hires. I mean, look, we all remember when Todd Haley was brought on, right? Everybody thought, oh, he's the guy that, that could take over if Hugh Jackson gets fired. And, and obviously both those guys end up getting fired on the same day. <laughs> so like I said, if, if you have to go to an interim, things have things have gone off the rails enough that it, it really probably doesn't matter. Right. And if the Colts can uh, put Jeff Saturday in as their interim head coach, anything can happen uh, with that position. You don't necessarily... Uh, needs somebody who, you know, has, uh, you know, who has done it before per se. But anyway, so no, I don't think, I don't think that's the case. You've got other people on the staff. You've got Bill Callahan, who's been a head coach before. You've got other guys, you know, that would be qualified. I don't think that that was in the thinking process. I really think that, and I really truly believe, truly believe this, you know, I, I just don't think that Kevin Stefanski is, is on the hot seat. I think that, Everyone fully expects that the marriage of Kevin Stefanski and Deshaun Watson is going to be wildly successful and that those guys are going to take this team to where they want it to go. So that's what the thinking process is. All right. One more coaching question here. And by the way, speaking of, does this mean JC Treader would be the interim coach or like, could Joe Thomas be talked into to coming out of retirement and, Coaching the Browns as an interim base. We just need to come up with like a list of former offensive linemen. Alex Mack. Yeah, there he's you go. Too. Um, okay. Paxton Styles from Chevrolet, Maryland. Going back to Chad O'Shea. Hey, Mary Kate, do the Browns have someone in mind to replace Chad O'Shea if he leaves? And do you think they will fight to keep him like they did with Bill Callahan? They might. They might fight to keep him. But it will be hard because if Chad O'Shea leaves, he will be leaving for an offensive coordinator position. And they really don't have that to offer him per se, or at least they don't right now. Once again, when all the coaching changes are made over the next two weeks or so, or maybe even the next three weeks, uh, you know, then we'll have a better idea of who's staying, who's going, who's going where, and, uh, and we'll know more about all of that stuff. But um, at, at this point, uh, you know, I'm sure they have some ideas. You know, Kevin Stefanski's worked with a lot of really good guys over the years, and he probably has some thoughts in mind, especially knowing that Chad O'Shea is out there interviewing. So he'll be ready to go with probably a short list if that happens. Okay, let's take a break. We got a bunch more questions to get to, and we will try and get through uh, as many as we can in the second half of the second part of our Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. And welcome back to the Orange Brown Talk podcast, part two of our Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. Uh, we're going to go back to Tom in Middlebury, Connecticut. He couldn't resist asking a second question once I <laughs> asked, once I put the call out for more questions. Uh, hey, Mary Kay, given the lack of first round picks, 
rounds two, three, and four are very important. How would you evaluate this front office drafting in those rounds to date? Oh, that's a good question. Um, That's a really good question. You know, I have to say that um, I still think the jury is out on this regime's drafts for the most part. Um, We're starting to get to the point where we can really, you know, take a good hard look at 2020 and know what, you know, know how they've done there. Uh, But the other two drafts, you know, once again, this is a regime that drafts for for the future, and they draft really young guys that need development. Uh, so, you know, some of the guys that they have drafted in those rounds, uh, you know, the jury is still out. I mean, you look at 2022. Now, Martin Emerson came in and did a really, really nice job. And I think there's plenty to build on there. Uh, you know, Alex Wright is going to have to step up. Perry on Winfrey is going to have to step up there. Um, you know, Cade York is going to have to step up a little bit, David Bell. So, but you know, that's what happens when you're talking about the rookie class. Generally, you want to see tremendous improvement in, you know, in the second year. So let's go back to the 2021 class of second, third, and fourth. And Help me out, Dan. Give me. I'll have, to, I'll have to look it up here. Um, so, 2021 is where we're going. Yeah, 2021. So that would be Jeremiah Wusukoromoa. Right. Um, so that was that was one. And yep. I'm gonna pull. I'm gonna pull up the list here just to make sure I uh, just to make sure I get the right I get the right guys. So Jeremiah Wusukoromoa was 52. Right. Uh, that was a, that was a trade up. Yep. Anthony Schwartz was 91. Yep. James Hudson was 110. Uh, Tommy Togiai was 132. Okay. And then just um, Tony Fields was a fifth round pick that year, as was Richard LeCount. Okay. So, you know, we have a pretty good idea of what's going on with 2021. Everyone thinks that Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa will be, continue to build and develop. And the Browns still have very, very high hopes for him. And I think he's in that category of under Jim Schwartz. They expect a lot of these young guys to get much better uh, when they are coached uh, with this new defensive coordinator in this newer scheme and with better adjustments and more defined roles and some things like that. So Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, uh, you know, I think you'd have to put a, a check mark by him. Anthony Schwartz, the jury is still out. Anthony has to uh, prove to everyone this year that he's got what it takes to play in the NFL. He's had his issues. He's got talent. He's got a lot of speed. You can't coach it, uh, but you have to be able to run routes. You have to be tough enough uh, and you have to be physical enough to withstand the rigors of the NFL. Those are some things that he has to prove. Uh, James Hudson, work in progress. Uh, you know, he he got a little bit of playing time uh, in, you know, in the season finale against the, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers again, didn't get that much playing time this year. Um, But, you know, he's someone who's a developmental guy and someone that they still believe in. And, uh, you know, fortunately for him, he's got Bill Callahan coaching him. So that's a a good thing for him. And then uh, Tommy Togiai, once again, you know, he's just another one of those young guys that, they're coming up the learning curve. You got to see what they have. And Tony Fields showed some pretty decent things last year. You know, he's he's a good special teamer, and he flashed some things on defense. So he got an opportunity 
uh, to really kind of show for the first time what he can do. So there are some good things here and there are some things that are, uh, the jury is still out. Yeah. And, and with JOK, I think the, I mean, the only question is, I mean, I guess similar to Anthony Schwartz on the health front, like, can he just hold up for 17 mm-hmm. games? That's, but other than that, when he's on the field, he's been really good. So I, I think it's fair to call that one a hit to this point. I mean, look, those it's hard. You can pick the person you think is the best GM in the NFL. And you're, you're going to look at third, fourth, fifth round picks. And there's going to be guys like, Oh, they nailed that. And there's going to be other guys that you forgot even were football players. Like it's, it's, it can be really hit and miss in those rounds, but the Browns have also put themselves in a position where they've got to really, when they hit, it's gotta be big. Like it's gotta be, it's gotta be a JOK at his best type of player. It's got, you know, you're still going to miss a few, but you've got to get some real contributors in those rounds because you just don't have the the first round picks that you need to really get where it's a little bit safer. And that's where the really high impact players live. Yeah. I mean, you've got to nail those. You've really got to nail those. The hope is always that you're, you're going to get starters in the first three rounds. That's what you want. You want those three rounds uh, to be where your starters come from. So if Anthony Schwartz doesn't turn into a starting uh, wide receiver for the Browns, then that that's going to be a fail. So they, they need to see if they can get him up off the mat and, and get him where he needs to be, because that was a pretty high pick for him. And it was one that raised some eyebrows at the time. Uh, so Anthony, uh, you know, they need to see what he can do this off season and coming into this season and see what he can do with Deshaun Watson. Um, but that's basically what you're looking for, um, are starters in those rounds. Now, fortunately for the Browns, they've gotten a few bonus guys in the later rounds, like Donovan Peoples Jones. I mean, in a perfect world, he could have had a thousand yards this season, right? I mean, if he had played with Deshaun Watson the whole entire season, there's a pretty good chance he would have been a 1,000-yard receiver. And uh, so look for something more like that next year. And, uh, and you know, those that's where you can make a little bit of hay and sort of prove your worth as a personnel department if you can find a guy like that in the sixth round. All right, this question comes from Bill Barron in Indianapolis, originally from Medina County, a lifelong Browns fan. Hey, Mary Kay, of the players expected to play on defense next year, which two or three, not named Miles Garrett, do you expect to make the most impact based on Jim Schwartz's scheme? That's a great question. It's a great question. You know, I I don't know if some of those guys are here yet because I think that two next guys that are going to make the biggest impact are going to be the new defensive tackle and the second edge rusher, the number two edge that's not on the team yet. So out of those guys, I would expect that, um, you know, that those would be a couple of the guys that, that you would find making a bigger impact. Grant Delpit is somebody at safety that I think Jim Schwartz can probably look at and see some really cool things in his scheme uh, that Grant can do going forward. So he's somebody to watch. Greg Newsom is someone that we're going to have to keep an eye on because he would like to play more uh, on the outside, maybe not as much nickel. We'll have to see what his role is going to be. And then at the linebacker position, very curious to see what he's going to do with JOK. Um, and, uh, you know, and then I think they should – try to sign, they will try to sign Sayoni Takitaki. And, you know, he's just so underrated as, as a run stopper. So, you know, if they have him healthy for the whole season, I think he'll make a lot of noise. He really developed this year. He was, he was really good. Um, mm-hmm. 
And it, it would be interesting, like coming off, let, let's say he hadn't torn the ACL. It would have been really an interesting decision at Mike linebacker if they would have gone with him over maybe bringing back Anthony Walker or, you know, whatever they're going to do with Jacob Phillips. I don't know. Um, but yeah, the, I, you know, the torn ACL may end up, this is a little cold, but it may end up benefiting the Browns in, in that it's not going to be incredibly difficult to re-sign him, but you also have to see how he comes back from it because it happens so late in the year. You just never know. Some of these, some guys recover really quickly from this stuff and some guys it takes time. Yeah, that you're exactly right about that. And that was un- so unfortunate for him because as you mentioned, he was really coming on strong and he was one of the pleasant surprises and one of the bright spots on defense. He's coming into his own on defense and at linebacker. And so hopefully he, for them and for him, that he comes back uh, nice and healthy as soon as possible and is able to make that impact. Another player, I believe in the same draft class as Sione, this comes from Jeff uh, in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Hey, Mary Kay, in part one, you said that Greedy Williams is likely gone. Is this merely because Martin Emerson has beaten him out or are there other issues like he's regressed or just hasn't shown what the Browns wanted to see from him? You know, I think they just kind of have moved on. I mean, they added Greg Newsom, they added AJ Green, they added Martin Emerson. And when you start to uh, bring those new guys in, uh, you know, it just the writing starts to be on the wall. So I think that, uh, you know, it will be time for for Greedy to go see what else uh, he can get out there on the open market. And, you know, if things don't work out, I'm sure that there would be probably an opportunity to try to revisit things with the Browns. But right now I just see them kind of moving forward at that position. Yeah. I was trying to figure out, could this be like a Ronnie Harrison situation last mm-hmm. year? Or we all just assumed he was gone. There wasn't a spot for him. And then, you know, middle of April or maybe early ish April turns out the Browns bring him back on a one-year deal because there just, there wasn't much of a market for him and there was room for him. Uh, the AJ green part of this is interesting though, because we know AJ, is like a core special teamer. He's a guy that plays a lot of special team snaps. So if you're kind of deciding between the two, that's where he could beat out Greedy Williams. But could this could this end up maybe Greedy hits the market and maybe there's not a lot out there and the Browns end up bringing him back on a, a reasonable deal for a year? Sure. I mean, he's, you know, it's, it's not like he's in, you know, bad standing with the club. He's in good standing with the club and he's a good teammate and everybody really likes him. So it, it's really not that it was more just that there was a little bit more of a youth movement and they kind of upgraded the position. Uh, but, you know, you can never find, you can never have too many good cornerbacks. So if they could get him at a bargain basement price, they certainly wouldn't slam the door shut on that. Okay, this question comes from Jay and Canton talking about the Bengals. Hey, Mary Kay, when you look at all the talent and the holes on this team, it appears the talent level is similar to that of the Bengals, but they seem to be getting more from their lesser known players. Do you feel the Browns issues are more about talents, talent deficiency or just not getting the most out of the guys they have? I think we're going to find that out in a big way next season, especially on defense. With Jim Schwartz coming in, we are going to find out if if Joe Woods was a part of the problem or a large part of the problem. Uh, we know he was a part of it. We will soon find out uh, just how much impact a new defensive coordinator has. Because when you look at that defense, almost every single player regressed except for Miles Garrett. And Sione Takitaki and Martin Emerson, some of those guys uh, ended up playing pretty well, really well. But 
most guys did not play up to the potential that everyone thought that they had. And so that's what we're going to have to find out. Is Jim Schwartz going to be the sort of the key that unlocks these young guys? And instead of just having to add all kinds of new faces and bodies, is just being coached up differently going to be enough? Now, I've said this before. Some guys need their roles adjusted and revised. And I think that Jim Schwartz will bring a new pair of eyes to that, right? So if Greg needs to be on the outside more, or if Grant needs to be, you know, in the box more, or whatever the case may be, uh, you know, we will find out if if these are the ways that, um, you know, that these guys improve next season and get where they need to be. Alex Wright, I mean, can he find a way to get Alex Wright unleashed and get him to the quarterback, right? I mean, these are some of the things that will need to happen. I do think, and, and this isn't like a defense of Joe Woods, we know what this defense was in, in the first half of the season, and this defense definitely lost them some games. I do think there's a little bit of concern in the back of my mind that like in the second half of the season, and some of it is who they played, in the second half of the season was the defense like the biggest problem. Uh, it, I was actually a little concerned about the offense in the second half of the season. I, I mean, just looking at these games like uh, Miami, Buffalo, Tampa, you know, the defense won the game in Houston, uh, Cincinnati, Baltimore, the Saints, the Commanders, the Steelers. In all of those games, whether they were wins or losses, it was hard to look at the offense and be like, they did their part. And I think that was a little concern. Now, again, there are outside factors, right? You were integrating Deshaun Watson into your offense after 700 days off and trying to get everything. Like, there's a lot of things that you can look at and say, hey, the flip just the, the switch just flips to 2023 and everything's going to be fine because Deshaun's going to be Deshaun again. But in the back of my mind, there's a, just a little bit of concern of like, it wasn't just the defense in the second half of the season. And some of those games, the defense was good enough to win. Yeah, it wasn't just the defense. In fact, the defense started doing the thing that they needed it to do from the jump, and that is starting to get those takeaways. I don't have these stats exactly in my mind. I got to go look at them again. But in the last how many ever games, five, six, seven games, they started to get the interceptions. They started to get uh, those take those, those very necessary takeaways, and that's what they're going to have to do. Um, and they did it in some respects with one hand tied behind their back because their number two and number three edge, Jadavian Clowney and Alex Wright, were not getting to the quarterback at all. I mean, like we've talked about, it was like Miles Garrett getting sacks or no one. And that is not how it was supposed to be. They were supposed to be getting sacks from Miles and Perion Winfrey and Chase Winovich and Alex Wright and Jadavian Clowney, and they got them from no one except for Miles. And Miles had to get them uh, despite being double teamed and triple teamed and nobody really taking uh, too much heat off of him. So, you know, the defense started to come around and started to get those takeaways despite the fact that they had some real challenges from a personnel standpoint. So I think once they fix some of these issues, I think the defense is going to be okay. I think the turnaround can be swift and complete next year. I think they can uh, come out and do really, really well in a hurry. Um, but as you mentioned, offensively, there were still issues and they need to get, Deshaun Watson needs to get comfortable in the offense. 
the, the offensive line needs to make sure they can block for him, you know, and, and understand him and he needs to understand them. And everybody, the, the whole entire offense needs to learn how to work with Deshaun Watson, learn how to stay alive and aware on the site adjustments. And also everyone's got to be able to make that difficult, incredible catch, the kind that we've been seeing in these NFL playoffs. That's imperative. The other, the other thing, the other point with the Bengals that this person made, and I, I came away from that Bills game just really impressed, and, and the Ravens game too. First of all, we don't talk about the Bengals' defense enough. Um, the, the job that they've done, and Lou Anarem, am I saying his name right? Lou, I'm not even going to try. Their defensive coordinator, Lou. Uh, the, our Bengals guys will help us out with that pronunciation. Uh, he, he's mm-hmm. fantastic, and, and he's probably a guy that should, should be getting head coaching interviews uh, at some point. But the way they just went into that Bills game and just physically dominate, just dominated them, like running mm-hmm. on them, doing whatever they wanted against them in their stadium, in the snow, that was really impressive. And I think ultimately that's what the Browns want to, and that's what they need. That's what they need to be able to do too, is just go into somebody else's building, whether it's Buffalo, Kansas City, Cincinnati, and just be the more physical team and just take it to somebody like that. And, and that's just something we haven't seen a lot of on either side of the ball, really, uh, over the last probably year and a half. Right. And I, I do think that having, um, you know, some a few bigger, nastier defenders will help. You know, I mean, like you got to get somebody that's got a little, you know, smoke coming out of their ears a little bit here and there. Right. At the like the defensive tackle position. That's a good spot to have that kind of a guy. Um linebacker. That's a great spot to have that kind of a guy. So, um, you know, I think they, I think they will, uh, add a few of those kind of guys. I think that Jim Schwartz understands that he needs, uh, some of those enforcer type of guys. And, uh, I think you'll see a little bit of a different vibe. Lou Anarumo. That's, that's the name I'm thinking of. Lou Anarumo, the Bengals defensive coordinator, who's done a, a really fantastic job. Okay, that's going to do it for part two here of the Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. All those questions came from our football insider subscribers, cleveland.com slash Browns the Blue Banner at the top of the cage page you can become one of our text subscribers and also uh, i know mary Kay. sometimes you use these questions in uh in print and on the website but you also will use them sometimes for that newsletter that we send out to our subscribers every day as well so uh kind of a, a double whammy for folks if they sign up to become football insiders uh they get texting they get the newsletter and then of course you get access to those stories on cleveland.com slash browns and make sure you subscribe to our podcast on apple podcasts and spotify mary Kay, i'll talk to you later sounds great 